Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hello, it's your old pal Wilson, and we're bringing you the 12 Days of Richmas. <laughs> yeah, we went there. Yeah, I'm sorry about that. These are the 12 most listened to episodes of 2023. Enjoy. Insane in the membrane. Hello and welcome to another edition of your favourite podcast, Insane in the Membrane, with your old pal Wilson. And this week, I'm joined by the mighty Paul Foot. Hello. Well, hello, Rich. Nice to be on the. It's nice, nice to have you. I apologise for mucking you around. My brain—it's like a boiled radish. My brain. It was like a nightmare. Oh, it was like, I thought it was supposed to be three o'clock, and then it was five o'clock, and I felt like I was living in—it was like living in a <laughs> in a like like I was living in some sort of film, but not in a good way. Just in a really, really disturbing kind of um, you know what time's the starting kind of way. And it's just one of those things that just, it never, it's like, we get to five and it's like, oh no, it's seven. Oh yeah, but no, no, it's nine. And it just exactly. never comes. It's like the film Sliding Doors, except <laughs> it making no difference one way or the other. <laughs> it doesn't really affect anything. So it's a bit like that. You could have gone either way and it would have just led you to this point And that's it. Nothing else. <laughs> oh dear me. Can you hear me all right, Paul? Oh, I can hear you very well. I just wouldn't say anything because I just, I just, I just zoned out a bit there. Your voice, your voice was so. I can hear you, but your voice was so relaxing. I started to, I started to just completely go into a soporific state. It was sort of, sort of hypnotic trance. You know, it's now become a sleep story. You're going to be asleep by the end of this, and uh, you're feeling, you're feeling sleepy, oh, yeah. drowsy. Your eyes are slowly closing. I, <laughs> do you know what, Paul? I'm actually, and have been for many years, a connoisseur. I've uh, oh. been on your mailing list for a long time. Oh, that's good. Yes, I'm glad just because people who are listening don't know, I have my own society, the Guild of Paul Foot Connoisseurs. And it's, yes, a good society. Yes. It's very nice. It's very Lots good. Lots of nice people there, like you. <laughs> and they're all people who like my comedy. But I always say they're connoisseurs, not fans, because they're but they're not fans. They don't like standing around with a notebook asking me to sign something. They just like the comedy. Yeah, we actually yeah we appreciate good comedy, which yours is. Uh, yeah, I mean you, yes, you, you don't have to stand deal with three corner, yeah. would you, Rich, with a with a piece of paper trying to get me to sign something? You wouldn't bother. 
<laughs> maybe I don't know Paul I don't know where you live maybe if I found out where you lived maybe that would change it maybe this is what this is all about this is a cunning plan oh. just to find out where you live so I can get you to sign my book you might be able to find out where I live from this this image because you're in my private boudoir really because normally I do my podcasts from another room in the house but today because my boiler's broken I'm doing it in the kitchen, which is the only warm place. And it's got all my oh, mate. all my things up, my little things that I've just various things over the years I've stuck up, little memories of little things everywhere. <laughs> just to just to just to keep you happy. Just little things on the fridge. Yes. Oh, there's an invitation to a, a wedding. Oh yeah, do you know? I hadn't seen that for ages. That was an invitation to a, a, a wedding anniversary party. But on the day of the wedding anniversary party, I couldn't find any of the details. Or, like, where is it? And I knew they'd sent something to me in the post. Well, there it is. It's been put there on the, on the fridge. So I often put things on the fridge and forget about them. And then I, oh, yes, I'll put that on the fridge, I think. Very important invitation to a special show business party. And I forget about it. <laughs> but I do that. I, I looked I looked in my diary yesterday to see what was happening today. And I just felt I was so ahead of the game. And all it was that I got the numbers jumbled up and just, and well, it all just fell apart. Was it because it did it say 1500 and you can think of that as five? It said 1500. And I think somewhere along the line, in my head, I went... Oh yeah, so we'll be done four thirty. Then Paul and I will chat five. So I'll be, and then so five was in my head. Yes, well, uh, I think it's understandable. It's an easy mistake to make, and it, <laughs> obviously, if I wanted to be very judgmental, then I could say it was highly unprofessional, and you should always <laughs> check and double check these things. And I could say it's about time. You got used to the 24-hour clock. It's not complicated. Check and double-check. <laughs> Is it in the 24-hour clock or does it say AM or PM? It's not difficult. <laughs> well, that's what I would say if I was... Um, uh, I could work as a, a check-in for Ryanair or something because I could do that. <laughs> and then I could say, you're two hours too late. It's all on the terms and conditions. It's not my problem. <laughs> and then they could say, yeah, but we're going to have to stay in a hotel now. We won't get the holidays ruined. I say, it's not my problem. <laughs> terms and conditions. <laughs> it's a, yeah, terms and conditions, that's it. Gets you out of everything. Uh, have you ever had a job like that? Have you ever worked anywhere, Paul? Because I don't imagine where you would work. I've only ever known you as Paul Foot comedian. Well, I've only known myself as that. I have barely ever worked. Yeah. I once, uh, I've never done any job in customer services. What I mean is most people have done a job in a shop or they've done a job being a waiter or something. I've never done anything like that. I've only had, well, there was like a, like a sort of work experience thing when I was 18. I don't think you could even count that as a job. Right. So Where was this? That was Where? in... That was in Madrid after I left school, and it was reinsuring light aircraft and putting oh. it. It's like I had to enter all this data into the computer about how much the aircraft were worth and what the, how much the people were being insured for in the event of death or serious injury. It was quite sort of 
boring, really. But because it was in Spanish, and my Spanish <laughs> wasn't that brilliant, it made it kind of quite interesting. It was quite challenging. Yeah, <laughs> so I did that, and then I did one thing, which was like some weird thing. It was like a work experience thing for two days, and it was in like in the city of London. And I mostly just kind of photocopied stuff. I had to yeah, wear right. a suit. And that was just for two days. And then I did get a job uh, because I obviously wanted to be a comedian and I needed some money when I started. So I applied for various jobs. And then one of the... I only really went to two or three interviews, but one of the first ones I went to was with this recruitment agency. And uh, they actually didn't want to employ me. They wanted to place me. I went there. And it was very boring. It was an administration role. And then I remember talking to Julian, who was interviewing me, who's since become a very good friend. Mm. And I said, oh, I'm very interested in administration. Administration is what I (laughs) I love admin. I'm really interested in it. I could see his eyes glazing over as I made up all this rubbish. And then I said, look, actually, I'm not really interested in this job at all but I want to be a stand-up comedian and I need some money in the meantime and his eyes lit up A because I was telling the truth which is always more interesting to hear from someone and B because that's the sort of man he was he sort of like loved the idea of it and then he he then said well there could be a better job for me in other opportunities that he sort of advised me about but after about three months he rang me and said have you got a job and I said no and he said, we'll have to employ you then. And then, so I went to work there, and I was there for... I did nine to five, five days a week, for three full months. Oh, but wow. now I had, enough, I had enough of nine to five, five days a week, so then I went to flexi hours after three months. <laughs> and I stayed in the job for 18 months. One time he said to me, is it a good job you work here, Paul, because you're completely unemployable? Because I didn't like being given... up." orders i like to do my own thing yes and i just like to go in and work out what i was going to do right i actually did invent some computer systems for the for the company that i think are still there now like some of the things i set up still really uh, the sort of uh, the, the foundations of it and i also just made up other things like sometimes i was just i'm gonna buy a cake so everyone can have cake and, the, and that yeah I just oh, just go and buy a cake, you know. <laughs> I used to think, this is good. It would take me like an hour to go out, get the cake and come back. And I think, I just earned so much money, you know. Because in those days, one would think about the amount of hours and you think, oh, right, I've got yeah. that much money, you know, whatever it was, £10 or whatever it was at the time. Or half, I can't remember what it was, £15, I can't remember. But anyway, you'd think, oh, and sometimes doing a job, well, that was the only job I did. But you sort of think, oh, it took 20 minutes to make that phone call. I've just earned £4.50. That's £4.50, right, I've right, got. Yeah. That's not what would get you through the day, really. And in the end, I did some drilling, which I was not in any way uh, <laughs> equipped for. And I made a, I drilled a hole through the door and that broke the door slightly. So then I uh, said, I was about to, um, I was kind of about to turn professional as a comedian anyway mm. uh, so I said oh, I, I I won't charge for my time today and I, uh, <laughs> in fact we still argue about it whenever we meet up for meals a couple of times a year and have a nice meal together 
he maintains I was sacked, but I maintain right. I was I resigned. We're <laughs> not quite clear on it. The yeah. one thing we are clear on is that I left under difficult circumstances. <laughs> so that was the only job I ever did. Oh my God, I like. Do you know, speaking of cake, I still I still. And it was only last week I was talking to my wife and we got cake and I, I told her about your bit where yes. you see when someone makes a cake and gives you a bit, see how long it takes. You see how long you can go without saying the word moist. Well, not long. That's not the long. That's a comedy. Yeah. yeah that is a comedy. It's interesting, isn't it? When one looks back on one's career, not that I've finished. No. <laughs> uh, but I, I mean, I, I have in the sense that I've got to this point, so everything is before. That's yes. the only way it can work. <laughs> it can't time travel. But when you look back, you sort of think certain things just captured the imagination. That cake thing was one of the things, and yeah. um, and and uh, you know, sometimes, particularly in Australia, I don't get it so much in the UK. But in Australia, people come up and say, oh, you didn't do your cake thing tonight. And they, they really, I mean, they loved it in Britain, the cake thing. Yes. But they really, really went for it in Australia. And then really? the child horse thing was a big thing over here and in Australia as well, both really. Yeah. So you were saying before that you, you, had, a, you had an issue with people telling you what to do, like giving you, you've like, so has that always been an issue with you when you were growing up? Um... I think I always had a rebellious streak in me. There was something about uh, being told what to do by the, by the teachers, which I didn't mind being told what to do if it was a sensible thing to do. Mm. But sometimes I just sort of thought, well, what they're telling me to do is not sensible. It's not the best way of doing it. You know, there's a better way of learning this. Or, and I, and I sort of, in a way, I, so then I would find it difficult to just yeah. follow the instructions. I was never... I wasn't, um, I was only subtly rebellious at school. I never went to detention. I was never in trouble. Nothing like that. No. But then I was never made a prefect or anything like that because I was considered too sort of, too kind of wild, too kind of unpredictable to be made a prefect. Not conformative enough, not, uh, uh, you know, know, uh, conventional enough to be a prefect. But this is what I like about you is the fact that you are unconventional. But what I really like about that is that it's not, you don't go out of your way to be that. It's like some people, I know some people that would love to see themselves as eccentric and weird and wonderful. And, and, but you are, you are you. And I love well, that. Say, yeah. I mean, they say, don't they, that if you try to be eccentric, you're not being eccentric. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Same as you, you can't try to be original. You either are original or yeah. not. That's a, great, just... that's a great point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was worried about that. I speak. I was thinking about that the other week. I was just looking at, I hate watching myself. And now we have to put out clips of our stuff for social media. I, I struggle with watching myself to be able to do that. And I was thinking about, oh, no, this, this is all bollocks. This is unoriginal. It's exactly what I said. And then you kind of just got to just keep working at it, haven't you? And and give your clips to someone else to to sort out if you can't do it yourself. <laughs> yes, but I suppose if you don't like what you see when you see yourself, that's because you have a certain 
picture of how you are yeah. and a certain attachment to a certain rich, a certain rich Wilson. Yeah, I think so. I don't realise how blokey I come across. I was watching something and and I would just because loads of people say it all the time. Go, oh, you just a lovable geezer, and I'm like, no, I'm not. I'm not really like that. And then I see myself and I hear myself like. Well, I am that. So what What am I hearing in my head? Because I'm hardly walking around like I'm, I don't know. I don't know. I just, I don't know what I think. I don't know what my brain thinks I am. Yes. The Duchess of Parma. <laughs> That's what I was thinking you don't sound like. That's, That's maybe what, what my... That's what my brain thinks I am. I think that's what it is. I, I walk around like I'm Quentin Crisp, but in the body of Ray Winston. Well, of course, this is um, this, of course, happens to people as they get older, doesn't it? Because obviously, as you get older, you sort of still feel the same. You're still in the same body, looking out the same eyes. Yeah. And that's why a lot of people don't like the f- ageing, because it's sort of, uh, because it's suddenly a very physical... Mm. A manifestation of the fact they are actually getting older and the fact that 22-year-olds aren't interested anymore. You know, and sort of think, <laughs> why aren't they? Because you feel like the same inside. And then yeah. you get home and say, oh, that's why. Because I look <laughs> really old. <laughs> you should be talking to 22-year-olds. Look at the state of your... Oh, God. Uh, I, although there are some people that I know and I've had to speak to and say, listen, come on, you you shouldn't be talking you shouldn't be worried about 22 year olds now come on come away <laughs> come on come over here with the grown-ups now <laughs> what you mean friends of yours friends of mine yes that still you know they still see themselves with these 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 little these gadabouts they see see themselves as these you know these they're still like you know these hip boys about town you're like you're 53 you really shouldn't put some socks on come on come away yes i mean I talk to people of all sorts of different ages because of my job, I suppose, so I meet audiences. So, uh, you know, one meets people of ages. But yes, the days when one imagines that a 22-year-old is in some way interested uh, in the past. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Are you you still taking pictures of people's haircuts? That was, I remember when I first met you and I had, I had like more of an Oasis kind of mod haircut. And you took a picture of that. Oh, I can't remember. Perhaps that was a little phase I went through, taking yeah. people's haircuts. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it was nice. I, I enjoyed it. I very much enjoyed it. Um, <laughs> where did you grow up, Paul? Oh. I, I, I'm not, I can't quite place you. Where were you from? I grew up in Buckinghamshire. Yeah. Um, which is where I still live around here. So, um, uh, near High Wycombe. That sort of area. Oh, I know, yeah. Not not in High Wycombe itself, which is not the most exciting place, but near in that area. So yeah. uh, I've always lived around here. I like it because a lot of people, obviously comedians know, because comedians go all over the country, but a lot of people don't know about it. They say, oh, is that Berkshire? Oh, is that Hertfordshire? <laughs> they don't even know where Buckinghamshire is. And then you see it's between London and Oxford, about halfway between. That's still right. don't know. <laughs> when you explain about the tube and Zone Nine, they just literally have no idea what you mean by Zone Nine. Yeah, Zone Nine. As, <laughs> yeah, because we only know as much as as far as six. That's as far as we go. But Zone Nine, yeah. I mean, that's a that's it. Could be out of space. 
it's quite fun sometimes seeing, you know, occasionally if it's a Friday or Saturday night and I'm on the last train home and someone has maybe had a few wines at some office function and they've fallen asleep on the train and they get to Amersham and yeah. then they say, oh, I overslept sort of thing. And they say, oh, when's the night bus? And you say, well, there isn't a night bus. Well, when's the, next, when's the next tube back into London? Well, in about three weeks, you know. I mean, <laughs> there isn't one. This is it now. <laughs> this is, that... is it. You're in Amersham. <laughs> it's like when I used to live in South End, and the end of the line was Shoebrinness. And uh, the, the cab drivers, drivers down in Shoebrinness used to be millionaires of all the people that would fall asleep on the train. And then have to get a cab back. Absolute fortunes they made. And so, yeah, uh, yeah, I know. Living, yeah, when you, oh man, it's always nice to live at the end of the line, especially yeah, if you if you like, like a few wines. Yeah, so I live at the end of the line, or not actually at the. I have then have to drive six miles beyond the end of the line. Right, right. There's no wines to me. <laughs> uh, and did you? Because, like I just said, you've you. you to me, you've never tried to be anything other than yourself. Whereas when I was growing up, I, I kind of trusted the adults. I was like, oh, well, the adults know best. It's only now I'm, I'm an adult myself. I'm like, no, they had no idea what they were doing. I wish I'd have said something. And like you just said, it's like, you know, you just knew that grown-ups would ask you to do things and there was a better way of doing them. You had the wherewithal to question it. You know, not in a, you weren't being a difficult person. You were just like, no, that doesn't seem right. Has that always been an issue for you? Just because you've always been yourself, especially growing up in a place like High Wycombe. Were there issues growing up? Well, I don't. I mean, I sort of. I don't have much of a relationship with the past. I remember it much, no. really. I remember school being. I I remember it being difficult because I was bullied. Mm. And all these things at the time, you know, when you're looking back on it, it all seems... Like, I remember there was one particular person who used to bully me at school. And then... And it was terrible, really. Yeah. And uh, and, and if one went through puberty, like, a year later than the other boys, this was some nightmare. Mm, yeah. Who cares, you know, in the scheme of life? What is it? Why is it so important? But at the time, this was terrible, you know. Yes. Like a nightmare. And I remember all of this bullying and stuff. And then I remember that when I was at university, so we were all about 19, and he wasn't at the same university, but I think he must have come to visit someone who was there. And so, and I was all scared. Oh, my God, it's, it's him who's oh, bullying no. me. Uh, but then he was 19 or 20 years old by then, and he was just perfectly pleasant and nice and just grown up and nice to see you. And you sort of think, oh, that was... Well, it was, you know, that was just not, you know, on the one hand, it was sort of like it wasn't really real. Well, it was real, but it was yeah. like, that wasn't him. It was just how he was as he was growing up. He felt the need to sort of bully. But on the other hand, I thought, that's like four years of my life you made misery. Yeah. So there was a slight yeah. resentment at the time. <laughs> yeah, well, but that's it. I mean, I saw I, a couple of years ago, I saw one of the, the the guys that used to bully me from where I grew up in the town. He never didn't go to my school, but when we used to hang around in this park, it used. I remember seeing him turn up, and I would just be filled with dread. 
and he'd do all sorts of horrible things to me. And then I saw him putting petrol in his car a couple of years ago. And bearing in mind, that was like 30-odd years ago. And I felt the fear. And then I was like, I'm going to go and say something to him. And I'm like, he won't know who you are. And it, it was a really weird moment that, it was, you know, he probably would be fine and he, would have, he wouldn't even remember. And it, it's strange, isn't it? Well, how those... you, never, you never did it. You never went to him. And spoke no, to I him. never went. I should have, I, should I have done? I don't know. Well, it wouldn't have achieved anything, would it? It would have just been odd. And I think also then when I went to university, uh, to my shame, I think I was a group of people who was not very nice to some other people. Yeah. Not bullying like at school, but uh, not physical bullying or anything. No. But I think because I met some other people at university and I think they'd all been bullied, we were all the ones who never really went to the parties when mm. we were in school and we were not very cool and we were bullied and all that stuff. And so then we discovered, okay, we're adults now, we're at university and we all kind of, so a group of us all got together as a friends and we were, I think, so relieved and excited that we were, we'd found friends, we had yeah. people who, you know, and all that stuff. Uh, and then, but then I think then there were some people who weren't in our little group um, and we were only 18 years old or 19 at the time, but there were people who were not in our group. And then we were a bit nasty to them, a bit like, you're not in our group, not very welcoming, not very friendly. Yeah. Because we were so desperate to be, yeah, we're in this group, but we weren't secure. We weren't secure in that. It was the first time that we'd been in a group. So we yeah. weren't secure enough to just be, well, because I didn't want to be nice to the people who were not as cool as us, in inverted commas, in case that meant that the other people would say, well, you're not in our group anymore, and then I wouldn't be in any group. And we all probably felt the same, so we were all insecure. Yeah. And it meant we were um, not very nice to other people. I mean, obviously, we grew out of that. But uh, it is an example, isn't it, of how people get bullied and then maybe themselves are yeah. not very nice to others. I, I I know exactly what you're talking about, especially I've said this on here before the school that I went to, it was an all boys school. So it just went down the line. Like somebody was getting bullied. So they bullied you, you'd bully somebody else. Everybody was bullying somebody to, to, to make you feel better because you were getting picked on. It was it's horrible. Well, mine, mine was the same all boys school, very similar sort yeah. of thing. You know? and, so, it, uh, it, oh God. And if you like, you talk about puberty, now, when you look back, and and having spoken, having my lads that have grown up and gone through it, and having spoken to other young people, it's very different now. Whereas it was so toxic when we were when I was a kid, there was no, there wasn't any understanding. It was kind of yeah, again, you were just bullying each other, like because somebody hadn't quite got to where you are puberty wise, so they were still when well, it was no hairs or they hadn't quite grown or whatever was going on, or, you know, questioning people's sexuality. It's awful. Oh, yes. It was awful. Yes, yeah, sexuality. I mean, uh, there were 1,100 boys in school, and none of them was... None of them was even concealed gay, let alone openly gay. Right. 
it was very just that's not what you do. Yeah, but yeah, things, yeah. Things changed. Things changed quite quickly. I think after I left, I think a new headmaster came in, who was much less patrician, and and uh, I think just the zeitgeist changed. Yes. I mean that was 1992 when I left school, and just things changed in the 90s, and uh, it was just like much less of a big issue. I think that's it. Yeah, it was it was a big issue when I was a kid. I left school in '88, and so you know the '80s. I started secondary school in '81, and so it was. It was. It was. If you if you showed any signs that you were anything other than heterosexual, you would just get. You would just. Your life would be awful. It was. It was. And I remember. I remember. It was these lads were doing this thing. They were giving each other love bites. And I made some comment going, I mean, I can't exactly remember what I said, but I know it wasn't very nice. And then they kind of rallied, they sort of turned on me and were like, oh, well, we'll see you after school. And I'm like, well, yeah, well, you can't do anything. You're kissing each other. And I think about that all the time. And I think about how horrible it was that I well, said I, those well, things. Well, that you said those things. Yeah. That it, I, for some reason, because I, I don't even know why I thought it was an issue. Because I don't have an issue with it, I I I just just haven't. And my mum and dad were very uh, progressive when I was growing up, so I was surrounded by all manner of diversity. And so to be in that environment and for me to be taking the piss out of two lads for giving each other love bites, I don't know where it came from. I don't know if I was trying to impress my friends or hiding something myself. I don't really know. But I know it was horrible, and I know it made me feel it's made me feel shit ever since. Well, they do say, or you know that. Um, well, I don't know whether they say, but I say it anyway. In fact, I did a piece of comedy about it a few years ago. Mm. Like no one, the nastiest people in the world, no one could be crueler or nastier than children. In a way. Yeah, 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 yeah. They can be so horrible <laughs> to each other. I think that's it, and it's only. Uh, I think. Yeah, and it, I think I do remember at the time because I remember one of the lads. We ended up in a back and forth, and then him and his friends said they were going to meet me after school, and I sort of went. I went a different way, and then I was walking up the road another night with my friends, and he was on his own, and I went over to him, and I was like, "All right, then, come on, then, you want to meet me?" Being all big because my friends were there, and I remember him. So he goes, "He goes, no, I don't want to." And then I was, and I, and I was in my, I'm like, I don't want to either. But because of all the other lads, we were kind of getting pushed into this thing. And I, and I've seen, I've spoken to him since. Well, I, I've met him. So just, I'm still friends with other people that we know. And we've both said, you know, we just didn't, we were pushed into a thing we didn't want to be in because of the environment. But at that moment when we were face to face and he said, and he, and he had the, the, the guts to say, I don't want to. And I and I was like, yeah, I don't want to either. And I think that was the turning point. That was the time I was like, yeah, I don't want to be any of this. I don't want to be this fighting laddie sort of thing. It was a real moment in 1988, that was. Yeah. But it still bothered me. I don't know. It's just because I'm not, like I say, I've, I've, had, I've since had, um, you know, uh, experiences with with men and you know it's so i don't know what my issue was <laughs> well 
Well, I think the issue was the same with me when I was at university, I mean school, I mean, uh, that there's a lot of baggage, or certainly it was then, about being gay. You know? mm-hmm. It's just considered... It was just considered just a out and out bad thing, you know. Just yeah. I mean, when I think back on it, I think there were eleven hundred boys, and they never once taught us anything about sexuality or anything. No. Well, I suppose the reason would have been that the headmaster and the teachers and the general zeitgeist was that that wasn't. It was just considered a kind of a problem, something you have to deal with maybe yeah it wasn't considered that would be just something completely normal no one once said to me do you know if you're gay that's completely normal who cares or even if you're just bisexual or you feel that you want to you know who cares yeah like so now it's you know when i speak to um you know young people and students and things i think it's just a totally different world in which um it's not even an issue. The idea of having to come out to something is just irrelevant. Yes. Everyone, not everyone, but a lot of people, the default position is is to see themselves as bisexual and just whatever, you know, no one cares. It's not a thing. Yeah. The idea of having to sit down and say to people, I am gay or I am bisexual, implies there's something bad about it, doesn't it? Yes. It's like an extra thing that, yeah, that you've had to... Yeah, that you have to warn people of or explain to people of. And now, you know, I'm glad it is where it is because obviously it's so obvious, you know, it doesn't, your sexuality affects nothing. It doesn't affect anything, you know. And I think, um, you know, and, and things have moved on so much. I mean, religion plays a role. And, yeah. And just when I was at university, I had what we would now call mental health problems. I had depression and the things I was dealing with. Nowadays, people would say, well, you know, that's okay and you need some help and some people to counsel you and work out what it is. Whereas in those days, it was very much, well, you know, uh, um, you know, you've got to sort yourself out or you'll be expelled from the university. Oh, wow. And I even went to see, um, I went to see, uh, like there was a, not a vicar, but um, I can't remember the, the name, like a chaplain of the yeah. this college. There was a chaplain. And uh, he said, and I said, oh, I'm, I'm gay, I'm dealing with that. And I said, I'm depressed about various things. And he said, I remember this, he said, well, you know, I've encountered people before, there was someone else who had all these issues, he was gay and he had, depression and stuff and you know and he did kind of kill himself so that's sort of understandable that it was very much implied that perhaps the best thing would be it wasn't quite like that but it was kind of implied that if I were to commit suicide that would be quite understandable they would have understood oh my word and that was but that's religion isn't it yeah that was the way he saw it as basically being a sin and in he saw my sexuality is irreconcilable with um, with what he would have considered to be um, proper moral living. Yeah. And all it is, is, and as we've already said, your sexuality is irrelevant. It makes no difference to anyone or anything. Yet 
you because of the environment we were growing up in which like as you said thankfully seems to have changed vastly it's a it's the you're, you're the fact that you really shouldn't have had to deal with anything there wasn't anything to deal with you no but a lot of this i think because it all comes to, of course you say that it's not an issue it's not a problem but it is a problem though mm. if you believe that it's a sin and if you believe that committing a sin is a very serious business yeah if you believe all that i i maintain that um my, my, my theory is that so much of Western um, uh, uh, morality, particularly about sexuality and things, it all comes from St. Paul. Not really from Jesus. Right. Jesus never said anything about being gay or anything. I think he just said, love everyone, love everyone, so yes. your neighbour and all this stuff. But it was St. Paul who wrote all those letters uh, to you know the Corinthians and all whoever these letters before, and a lot of I think he's sort of very under under noted as a massive part of of Western morality. Oh all really? Comes from those letters, stuff he says about sexuality, about women, and all these things. So it's very patriarchal. Ah. It's very, you know, very um, you know. Uh, it's very patrician. Yeah. So uh, that's it. All comes from Saint Paul. All these things. Ah, I had no idea because I haven't really studied it to be honest. Because it's never really. I just I, all I ever see is religion causes more problems than it than it than it you know than it cures. And I've never really. I, so I just see it as that. So I've never really studied it. So I didn't know that. I just assume. Yeah, well, I might be wrong, and there might be people <laughs> who are theologists who. Say actually, it's a bit more complicated than that, and so on. But I always think so much of that comes from those letters. Yeah, all that stuff about sexual, a lot of that sexuality stuff comes from those letters. But the irony is that probably, if that's the case, in those letters that St Paul had written, he was probably hiding so many things himself. He was probably gay. He was probably all of these things, and he was trying to deflect. I know. Obviously, he said it all came from God. It was from God who told him all this stuff, or it was somehow. Yeah. But it was not, Jesus never taught that stuff. He taught it, and it's now in the Bible, and the Bible is the word of God, apparently. Which so is everything the, he said yeah. is apparently the word of God. So that would be the, would that be the New Testament? The New Testament. Yeah. Some of it, I think, also goes to the Old Testament. That stuff about man should not not lie with man or something. I think that's Old Testament. Right, right, right. There's, there's more stuff. If there wasn't enough anger and bile in the Old Testament, Saint Paul came up with some extras for the New <laughs> Testament in the form of a series of letters. My God, like he had letters. <laughs> I wonder if he was from Tunbridge Wells, disgusted from Tunbridge Wells, or disgruntled, wherever he used to be on points of view. Well, he was kind of like that. He's yeah. got disgusted off Damascus. <laughs> well, from St. Paul. But it's bollocks, isn't it? And all these people, especially in America, you get these big, you know, the, the TV evangelists, and they're the ones ripping everybody off, taking all their money, 
telling everybody it's a sin to be gay. It's a sin for two men to be this, two women to be that. And, and then the, the, the oh, and then, but they're the ones behind closed doors. Of course they are. Doing the very things they say are a sin. I think you get that also in, um, in other religions for the people who are the ones who are supposed to be the ones that give all the moralities and stuff. Yeah. They, they, they go out of their own country and do all sorts of stuff. Yeah. Which they would never allow the people to do and then they come back and enforce it all and yeah. tell what they're supposed to do. Well, I was reading somewhere, I won't say which religion it is, but there was, like many religions, they, they have high walls around where they live so that their God can't see in. And so they get up to all sorts. And you just, it's just, it's just human beings manipulating the, these, the teachers of these spiritual beings, yeah, whatever they are. To get slightly ridiculous, isn't it? One would almost be tempted to say it doesn't sound very rational <laughs> or sensible or logical or anything. No. Really. How did you, when, I mean, how did you feel about religion? I mean, you, like you, like, you had the wherewithal, and I'm so blown away by this, to, to question the adults when you were a, when you were a child. How you you must have looked at religion and gone, none of this makes sense. This is all. Not, not, it was actually took, took longer. I was brought up in the sort of Church of England. Mm. My mother was Catholic, but sort of I, I would go. To, I didn't really go to the church much. So there wasn't time in my early twenties when I went to church. And I kind of believed it. And then as I thought about it, I just thought, this is absolutely ridiculous. Yeah, it is. And uh, yeah, if anyone listening and you are religious, that's up to you. I'm not saying that you shouldn't. You uh, you can believe whatever you believe. I just It's just the people that manipulate others for their own yes, gain. Yes, and I think also, uh, I think on, a, on another level, there is a lot of... Uh, beautiful writing in, say, the Bible or mm. other religious texts and things that, you know, incredible religious and spiritual allegories that can teach us things and that, and there's, there's all sorts of wonderful stuff there. But I... I um, so I'm not just dismissing it all as just all rubbish <laughs> no. and snapping and all we can learn, but I would not want to be part of, say, the Church of England... Uh, because ultimately I would be part of a regressive organisation. And, and when you think of all of the things, all of the freedoms, the fact that homosexuality is no longer illegal, which it was up until yeah. the 70s, the fact that we can now have gay marriage, it's equality, yeah. and all sorts of other things, the fact that we now say that if people want to... Uh, change their gender or be gender or not have it be gender fluid or whatever they want to do that's all right all of those hard fought um, freedoms have been uh, despite religion yeah religion every stage has been pulling it back i mean the catholics are even more extreme than the Church of England, yes. but let's not pretend the Church of England is in any way progressive. No. I mean, uh, I mean, they're still arguing about... I think they have now said 
women can be bishops, but there was all this stuff about, for ages, women couldn't be bishops. Oh, it's absolutely <laughs> ridiculous. I mean, it's just ludicrous. I mean, it's so, it's so misogynistic and patriarchal. Yeah. Uh, so I wouldn't want to be part of such an organisation because uh, it is, to me, uh, they have, you know, held back things for years and years. Mm. Less powerful those organisations are, I think, the better society is. I think so, but you. I don't yeah. think it's in somehow underpin morality or something. I don't, I don't believe that. But that's what's happening in America, isn't it? It's now we feel we are. They are regressing over there, going back to you know the word of God and and, well, it, yes. and it's and it's ludicrous and it's. It's a shame because the world is such a beautiful place with such beautiful things in it. And if we're allowed to just be ourselves, we create some wonderful things. But yes, I mean, that, yes, uh, I mean, um, as you say, in America, it's going backwards, or has done mm. women's rights and all sorts of things. Yeah. Gay rights. So it's, um, uh, you know, we, one has to keep fighting for yes. these freedoms because uh, this I think has been a complacency in a certain uh, sort of liberal circles of this particular liberal western democracy and other western democracies this sense that things are always just sort of becoming more liberal and everything's mm. just sort of improving but uh, not necessarily we have to we have to watch out for that Oh, most definitely. But you have found your tribe with the connoisseurs. Yes. And that's... And, uh, <laughs> yeah. But have you found why. it, because you, you, you're going on tour now, uh, or you're on tour now. Are you on tour yet? I'm on tour. You're yeah, on tour now. So that must, be a nice, that must be a nice place to be, because you're, you're, in a, you're doing shows now for people that have bought tickets specifically to come and see you it's whereas a comedy club where you're on a mixed bill with whoever is a little yes. bit more um unpredictable well yes it's um the other day i was doing the glee club in birmingham yeah. i think it's, the, it's an unusual i don't think there's any other venue like it there might be another one i can't think of it but it's unusual in that i'm playing one of the rooms which is the studio theater and meanwhile there's a club going on in the other room. Yeah. It's not very often you get that. And I sort of popped into the dressing room to say hello to the other acts and it's all very friendly. But it did absolutely in some ways bring back those memories, Just even just walking through this room of people who were sitting there for the club and thinking, oh, that would have been <laughs> idiots. Uh, and, you, and now we welcome our next act. Pulver, and you have to, yeah. Some of them are really, some of the clubs are lovely, of course, yeah. But some of them, uh, and I'm not saying anything about the Glee Club in Birmingham, that may well be a really lovely club now. Uh, but, but certainly, there were clubs where you know, in, immediately they wouldn't, it would be combative. Certainly, me with my eccentricities, they would often sort of think, Who's this? Mm, I don't know, we don't like him, who's that? Yeah. And you'd immediately be on the back foot, even from the moment you came on stage, they'd be like, 
oh, we don't like you, what are you doing? And it was just uh, frightening. So, yeah. yeah, it's such a... And, you, and uh, if you left a, a pause too long, or if you had... You might have gone on really well, but you had one joke 15 minutes in that didn't work so well, then there'd be someone who would immediately heckle because they were waiting for that little chink, that moment yeah. when you weren't quite... To, so, yeah, it brought back those memories, and I thought how... It reminded me how uh, privileged I am to be, you know, on on with an audience who's come to see me, yeah. who give me the space and time to perform <laughs> and to take people on a journey with ups and downs and and some quieter bits and you know, still high laugh count. Yeah, that you can that you can give people moments when they're not laughing and they're thinking about things and achieve all sorts of things you couldn't achieve very easily in a club yeah so yes very lucky but i find you and i'm not just saying this because you sat here it's 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 people performers like you who i find inspiring i and i'm not just saying that it's because because you are so yourself and brave brave enough to be yourself i'm too i'm too busy i'm too busy worrying about what other people think of me I, I want people to like me and I'm scared that if I'm just myself, I'll be, they won't like it. So I'm kind of, I'm like, what do you want? Yes. What can I do for you? What can I be? Whereas you're you and I love that. And watching you do, you were doing mime, but it was, you, because sometimes you didn't think the mimes might not be very, they might be very good. So you, it was mime plus. Mime plus. So it was, so it was, it was mime with speaking. Yeah. And then explaining yes. what you just acted out. And it and it was and you and I was watching it and I'm going, how are you getting away with this? And it was and it was brilliant. And I'm just sitting there going, fuck! I just don't have that courage. Well, I don't know how I got it really, but I think I just I, I did lots of clubs for many many years, and I somehow managed to not really let the clubs affect me and right. how I wanted to be. But I still had respect for the audience. So I wasn't just couldn't care less. No. Uh, just go on, who cares? Uh, somehow I managed to get some sort of balance. It was tricky. But there was often, there was a, uh, there was a conflict. Because I would go on at one show and I'd think, Do you know, it would go really well. Some of the clubs were great. I had a great time. And then I think, you know, I could have pushed it a bit further. I could have been a bit more uh, out there with the, the choice of comedy that I'd done that night. And I, so I think, oh, I wasn't quite satisfied. I could have pushed it further. Mm. But then another night, I'd push it a bit further and it wouldn't, wouldn't, wouldn't go so well. And maybe I'd try and get it back, but it was too late. And then I think, you know, I could have really got more laughs there yeah. if I'd played it safer. So there was always... Well, often there was this conflict, which doesn't exist now in the in the touring with my own audience. Yes. There is no conflict. I just do what I want to do, and they want to hear it. Yeah. And uh, yeah, so um, I don't know how I did it, and, and the clubs were very different to how they are now. I think now certainly there's lots and lots of clubs that are very um are great, which I do sometimes play, mm. which are where they want. They actually want something really weird and interesting. I've played a few of those recently yeah. where if you were to go on and do something conventional, they'd be like, what's this, you know? 
Yes. But that didn't exist 25 years ago when I started. It was all very much, they wanted a conventional thing. Yeah. And there was no real place for what I was doing and what some other people also do. But this is this, like you said, I'm glad that these these places exist now. And what's nice is that they've given me a chance to explore some things I wouldn't normally do. There's a, there's a gig called um, ACMS that I've done and I and every time I do it I always make a point of doing something that I would never normally have the courage to do and I had this one bit and I was gonna add a cat mask and I was gonna go on with this cat mask and go on and on and on and on about how much I love dogs and then halfway through realize I've put the wrong mask on and I would that was and I'd build it all up and I'd made sure i was like yeah this is gonna be really funny really funny and i got to the gig and there was a guy wearing a with a um a giraffe mask (laughs) and i was like how am i hack already (laughs) 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 and it completely threw me and i didn't i had to kind of do this rant about being hack in an alternative comedy night by turning up in an animal mask which it's kind of like route one. I don't know whether that is like it just I love to also had a mask. I mean sometimes, you know, like you could you can get comedy nights in some of the some of the sort of uh, trendier comedy nights, for want yeah. of a better word. Where you get what you know, several acts will all use a slight a projector and they've all got a laptop yes. and they're doing projecting. Well, you know, ten years ago, you'd have thought, "Oh my God, someone else has got a projector; they're doing that." Nowadays, no one cares. You know, it's just no. like, "Yeah, there's going to be three acts, and they're all using a projector." In the same way that years ago, I might have thought, "Oh, um, there's a there's a gay comedian on, and I'm coming on after, and I'm talking about my sexuality for a bit." Oh dear, whereas I've you know I've I've done uh, nights where there's been five gay comedians on. It's no one cares. It's just not even an issue anymore. It's just, uh, I mean, to give a very extreme example, in 1997 or 96 when I started, it was uh, the received wisdom in virtually every comedy club that you'd, I mean, I can't even believe I'm saying this, but Mm. this is what it was like, that you'd only ever have one woman on. You'd have a woman on, but you wouldn't ever because that would be too much to the audience, you know. Because, uh, uh, you know, like, oh, women, they can't really hack it and all these stupid things people <laughs> say. Uh, I mean, just the yeah. idea of that now is obviously ludicrous. Absolutely. Yes. Yeah. how much things have changed in the last 26 years. Yeah, it was the same when I, when I started. I remember as a barman. I was at, at 2001, I became a barman at a comedy club and then I became a comedian in 2004. And, yeah, even back then it was still one woman. She'd be on in the middle. Uh, they would only have one person of colour on. They would only have one gay comedian on because they didn't want to confuse people. And you're like, what are you talking about? No. It, it, did, did, yeah. did we um, do a gig together in Banbury? We did. Recently. Because yes, you did a thing about... Um, you did a thing about trends being transgender or about attitudes towards transgender yes. people. Yes. And then you, and of course it was because the audience perhaps wasn't necessarily expecting 
uh, a middle-aged white man no. to be saved. They were expecting you going to say, something like, it's not how it used to be, is it? Yeah, I remember <laughs> when it was all like that. And so, and so they weren't expecting it slightly. Um, and it was uh, a reminder to everyone that it's not just the uh, young people who are talking about these progressive issues in a progressive way. Yes. But and I also remember that some of them were like, yeah, we agree with you, Rich, because your, your joke, I can't remember what the joke was, but it was basically making fun of people who are transphobic yeah. and have an issue. That's basically what it was. That's it, yeah. And some people were like, yeah, we agree with you, Rich. But there, there was a bit of a silent minority who was not so... Yeah. You know, there's... And that was a sign of the danger to come because I came on stage, you introduced me, and it was great, it was great fun. But there were a few people in there who perhaps, you know, and I think I actually, there was someone who actually then walked out halfway through. Yes. I don't know what they were there. He was absolutely just didn't laugh and he was all upset, didn't like it. And then I heard from the very nice person who ran the place. He was a big fan of mine afterwards. So, so he was saying it in a nice way to me because he was a yeah. He loved my comedy, but he said that person left and said I don't want to sit and watch that gay a gay on stage. I don't want to hear a gay person. Not that even what I was doing was anything to do with being gay. No, not at all. It was mentioned a couple of times within the context of a couple of jokes, but most of my comedy was just about other stuff. Yeah, but anyway. Who cares? I could do what I want. But anyway, he just didn't like that. Uh, that was a reminder that, uh, you know, you, that there's danger in us. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There, is, <laughs> there is still work to be done. You're right. And it, uh, But that's that makes me want to keep doing it. I want to keep, I want to keep doing material like that about, being, you know, more progressive stuff, talking about the issues that are out there because... It's the only way we're going to make changes. It's the, you know I, I remember there's a gig that I book, and it, I I booked all women, and it, it doesn't. It's only a couple of times a year this gig, and I got a thing back going. Oh yeah, no, uh, it's just it's all women, and I'm like yeah, but th- that's not why I've booked them. They're all brilliant. This is going to be a good night, and it was a good night. But if I'd have gone, oh actually yeah, you're probably right, and changed the lineup, then we don't make any progress, do we? We don't. Well, yes. So it's um, I, I was the other thing that occurs to me is just it reminds me of a review I got in from Edinburgh with my show because in my show I talk about at the, near the beginning of my new show Dissolve I talk about change mm-hmm. and I'm basically talking about how ridiculous it is that people are just stuck in the mud against change you know yeah but I, I loved how the reviewer just said Paul Foot comes on stage in the early stages of the show and does a rant about change, but not in the way that you expect a middle-aged white man to do. We're <laughs> <laughs> similar to you, you yeah. know, when you were doing thing, you know. People just think, yeah, I find that sort of comedy really boring, the idea of him saying, well, I mean, maybe we should do a bit together now, <laughs> a bit of a, maybe we should do a bit of a nostalgia. Thing. Yeah. Yeah, it's not like, it's not like how things were in the 80s, is it? In oh. the 90s. In those days, yeah, we all knew where we were then. It wasn't <laughs> all like that anymore, is it? Yeah, so yeah, I know. A man was a man and a woman was a woman and it wasn't... You knew where you stood. It's just... And I find bullshit. the idea of... I mean, you know, obviously I'm ageing and I'll get older and older. 
But I really don't want to be one of those people who gets older. And it can happen, of course, in your 70s or 80s. But as we know, it can happen in your 40s or even 30s. So even <laughs> comedians in their, like in their 30s or certainly in their 40s, moaning on them, oh, this isn't what it is to me. <laughs> and going on about, you know, it's just so boring. You know? yeah. And I remember one day, we didn't have a mobile phone like this. People weren't on their phones all the time. So what? Who cares? <laughs> People use their phones more. They're using apps, you know. Yeah. So what? You know, sometimes people aren't talking to each other at the dinner table because they're on their phones, but they'll talk to each other at another time. Yeah. Things have evolved. Things have changed. They have. You know, the yeah. People will still, all the same things will still, as long as we don't destroy our planet to the point yeah. where hardly anyone live here. And there's, uh, obviously we're not all going to, the, the, the human race isn't in peril as such, but the size of it might yes. be some terrible thing. But as long as that, you know, as long as we somehow manage to still live here, uh, there'll still be people and they'll still have sex with each other and make babies and there'll still be t- people talk to each other and have conversations and people will still be kind to each other and it's not all going to fall apart. <laughs> I just find that idea of, oh, it's not how it was and people have lost their sense of community. And all. It's just... <laughs> boring yeah it's all there it's all still there and it will still be there and i really enjoy talking to you paul foot this has been such a joy and thank you for being patient i do apologize for ruining your afternoon early evening making your tea well, late right. i do apologize uh, well, i can have my uh, supper now in a minute lovely get that oven on um are you on social media i am yes where can we find you on the social media well i'm on uh it's a good question, isn't it? Uh, on Instagram, it's Paul Foot Comedy, and on uh, Twitter, it's uh, um, Paul Foot. Lovely. And uh, and on um, uh, Facebook, it's uh, something or other, isn't it? <laughs> it's got to be, it's got to be something, isn't it? <laughs> I mean, I've got to be on there. I'm sure you are. Uh, it's Paul Foot, you know, Paul Foot on. Pullfoot, <laughs> <laughs> you know, you've got found me. I've got a tick. And uh, there's, I've also got a, a website which people can find by going to http <laughs> colon forward slash forward slash www.internet.com and you go on the internet and you Oh god! And you, and you find me at paulfoot.tv is the website, but uh, people can find it. And that's on, where we can find your on Google. <laughs> and I, I was going to say other other search engines are available, but they're not though, are they? There aren't any. Not other good engines. ones. No one's looking not for. Really. No one's looking for Paulfoot on Ask Jeeves, are they? Or Bing or whatever. Yeah, I looked up Ask Jeeves a while ago. I thought, what's happened to it? And it sort of um, it got bought up by. Uh, I don't know, 15 years ago by Google or something. Uh, Google just took over the world. That was it. So, Paul, you're on tour, and we go to your website, and there we can see where your dates are. Yes. And uh, we can get tickets to see you on tour. Paul Foote, this has been a joy. Thank you so much for joining me today. This has been Insane in the Membrane. I've been Rich Wilson. This has been Paul Foote, and we'll see you next time. Insane. 
brain in the membrane. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Made by darkhorsedigital.co.uk. Shooting, live streaming and podcast production.